show you how short my mind is. Sister Tina is with us, and I just walked back there to speak to her, but she's able to be with us this morning. She hasn't been with us for a while, so we're thankful that, that she's able to be here with us today. Okay, as we continue our study of church history, and we're involved in uh, uh, the process that was uh, taking place to lead up to the Reformation movement. We talked about the falling away and uh, the Gnosticism and eventually manifest itself into the Roman Catholic Church, and that brought about all kinds of things. We talked about some, some great men who gave their lives up to this point <clears throat> to make sure that the Bible uh, could be delivered to the hand of people in the language they could read. Uh, instead of having to depend upon the priest or the pope or the cardinal or the bishop, or whoever they put into place, they could actually read the Bible for themselves. And that brought us up to Martin Luther. And, and we talked about Martin Luther, and as he grew up, he went to school, and and uh, he was training at the University of Erfurt in Germany. And on one occasion, after he'd been uh, there for two years, he came across a complete Bible written in the Latin language. Fortunately... For Luther, he could read Latin. And he was just astounded and amazed and uh, just prayed that to God that he could have a book like that for his own. And that's something that's foreign to us, isn't it? We've talked about that. We all have copies of the Bible and, you know, we have more than we'll ever uh, need, really. But that's a good thing. We're able to provide those to people. But at that point, Luther had... Uh, uh, decided to study that Bible, and he was encouraged. And we talked about the first, the first account that caught his eye was that of Hannah and Samuel. And so, <clears throat> as time continued, he can he uh, was continuing his education. And uh, Brother Sam mentioned last time talking about some of these great men that did these works. Did they have anyone who was uh, part of a support system for them? And there, and there was. There was. These men gave their finances to this, gave their lives to this, gave up everything about themselves to fulfill this idea of translating the Bible. Now, Luther wasn't known for translating the Bible, per se, <clears throat> Excuse me, but he was known and perhaps was the cog that started this idea of the Reformation movement. But while he was in school, he was very poor. He came from a very poor family. And as was the habit of those people who were in that position, they had to beg from house to house. And and upon being mistreated and, and deciding that maybe he was just going to go back home to his father and join him in the mines and uh, uh, bring ore up out of the ground and coal or what have you, <clears throat> it just so happened he was standing in in front of a home and the, the, the lady of the house came out, invited him in, they ate supper, and he became fast friends with his family. And for three years, they supported him, gave him a place to live, gave him food to eat. And then all he had to worry about was study. And so that's what he did. Of course, this, um, this family was uh, uh, the Cotta family, C-O-T-T-A. And over time, uh, he uh, continued his study, and he built this great relationship with his family. Now that leads us to the point as 
he was continuing this education, his father came up with the idea that he wanted him to study law. And so, after having purchased the very necessary and very expensive books to be able to study law, uh, Luther went off to study jurisprudence. And that wasn't what he wanted to do, but out of a sense of obedience for his father, he decided that that is what he would do. And so, for a period of time, he did that. But there was an issue. There was a problem that kept coming up as... Luther looked around and he began to see the spiritual state that most people who dedicated their lives to law at that time was very discouraging to him. Uh, They were not uh, upstanding people with high quality or high character. And that's what Luther saw. And he he was bothered by this, by people who went into the legal profession. And so... This conflict within him brought him to a precipice in life where he began to consider the higher law that all men are amenable to. And that higher law that all men are amenable to made the statement that you're to obey your parents, right? Uh, Obey the parents. But, as with any directive like that in the Bible, be obedient to the government. Obey your parents. Uh, those who have uh, uh, rule over you, that only goes as far as those people are in obedience to God. Not, and I'm not saying Luther's father was was an immoral man, but obviously he was not a Christian. But something happened in Luther's life that brought him to the understanding that profession was not for him. There was a sudden death of one of his very close friends. He just kind of up and died. And on one occasion, while Luther was traveling by foot from place to place, he found himself in, in a forest and a storm came up. Lightning was striking, thunder was roaring, and he was almost struck by a bolt of lightning and that scared him. And so as was the habit of people who were members of the Catholic Church, he fell to his knees and he began to pray to a patron saint. He prayed for Saint Anna to protect him. Well, as it happened, he was not killed in that storm. And, of course, he credited that with the protection of this patron saint. And, again, we go back and we look at, and Luther did this. We're going to notice it in a few minutes. He began to look at the basis for that faith. And we understand that there's no no basis or foundation in the Bible for a person to pray to anybody other than God the Father. And But because he had been taught and taught, almost as it were brainwashed, that was his knee-jerk reaction to do that. Well, obviously feeling like Saint Anna... had protected him, uh, he claimed that he would be a monk. And that was part of his prayer. St. Anna, protect me, I will be a monk. And he followed through that promise. He had uh, gathered some of his good friends together for a festive yet meager meal and uh, because in his mind this would be the last time that he would enjoy music, song, and and, uh, things of that nature. 
And so he wasn't going to tell them what he was going to do, but he couldn't restrain himself, and he told them, and they tried to talk him out of it. But in 1505, on July the 16th, he entered into the Augustine uh, Monastery. He was accepted by the into the group of novice monks, and he began to study, and he began to train. And uh, he was head and shoulders, as it were, above those of his classmates. No one prayed more. No more. No one practiced more discipline. No more. No one uh, practiced uh, self-mortification more. And that's, uh, of course, self-mortification is denying one's desires or appetites. And you might even do it with self-inflicted pain. And uh, he made the statement on one occasion. He said... Uh, if ever a monk got to heaven by monkery, I don't I didn't know that was a word. He said I would have gotten there. And so what he's saying is, if anyone could have worked their way to heaven, it would have been Luther. Now, that's an important statement to understand and to Oh, yeah, please. You don't mind important statement to understand and keep in the back of our minds. <clears throat> I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, my voice started going away. Thank you. Because as Luther began to engage in this idea, now he's not there at this point in history. He's not at the idea of being an enemy to the church. He's not uh, thinking about trying to reform the church, but he gets there. And so what he does is he goes from one extreme all the way to the other. See, here he's trying to work his way into heaven. He's trying to pray enough. He's trying to uh, discipline himself enough. He's trying to uh, prevent physical urges. He's trying to do everything that he can do to get to heaven outside of what God's asked us to do. And so after he begins this movement... He goes from one extreme all the way to the other and he completely takes works out of the whole equation. In fact, uh, when he did <clears throat> kind of put together his own personal Bible, he took the book of James and kind of stuck it as an appendix in the back because it does talk about work. And we have to have certain works if we're going to be able to access the grace of God. But at any rate, he was, uh, he went into the monastery and he began to practice this monkery. Okay? Now, there was still an issue. He was still searching for something. He was wanting something that he still didn't have. As he had this copy of the, uh, the gospel, and he began to read about the power of God unto salvation being the gospel. And those uh, who accept the gospel and obey the gospel, they are those who are the righteous and they are the ones who, who uh, uh, gain heaven. But he is still completely misunderstanding his view of who Christ was and what Christ was. In his mind, the righteousness of which Paul spoke in Romans chapter 1 and other places was simply manifest in punishment. When it spoke of righteousness of Christ, it was a righteous punishment 
uh, he viewed Christ as a tyrant, always looking to punish someone. Now, that's a worldview that a lot of people hold regarding God, isn't it? God is just waiting with a drawn fist for you to mess up, and then he's going to uh, come down on you like a hammer, and he's going to crush you like you would an ant. Now, at the, at the same time, the other extreme of that is God's just sitting up in heaven, and and I'm saying that because that's that's how it's described. I think that's kind of a flippant uh, way to do that, but that's their attitude. God's sitting up in heaven, and he just wants us all to have a good time. He wants us all to be happy, feel good about ourselves, and don't worry about anything. As long as you believe in Him, everything's going to be okay. Well, you see, Luther was on the other extreme of that. And so over time, as he uh, was in this monastery and he studied and he was doing things like that, he came across uh, and began to interact with the uh, vicar general of the Augustinian monastery. This man's name was John Stopitz, S-T-A-U-P-I-T-Z. And so he begins to talk to Luther, and he, he as he talks to him, he begins to look into the face of Luther. And Luther doesn't look like everybody else. Luther is haggard in his appearance. He acts and looks like he's carrying this huge burden around that, for which there is no answer. No one else appears that way to him. Of course, we know through a study of the gospel, not only was Luther carrying around this huge burden for which he did not have an answer, so was everybody else. But they didn't realize it. Because, unlike Luther, they were just simply operating on the word of the hierarchy within the Catholic Church. And so Luther was digging into the New Testament. And so a seed had been planted in his mind Something is missing. He wanted that peace that passeth all understanding of which Paul spoke. He wasn't able to find it at this point. I don't know that he ever found it. I know that he was never never a New Testament Christian. Whether he felt like he found it or not, I couldn't say. At any rate, John Stopitz, he looked into the face of Luther, and he said, Brother, you must obey God and believe in forgiveness. He went on to make a statement. He said, You have altogether a wrong idea of Christ. He said, Christ does not terrify. His office is to comfort. You must make up your mind that you are a very sinner and that Christ is a very Savior, And again, do you see the, the very separated points between one view and the other? The, the vicar, the vicar general, viewed Christ as someone who simply brings comfort. Does Christ bring comfort? Absolutely Christ brings comfort. But can He also bring punishment? Well, that's exactly what Paul talked about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, wasn't it? He's going to come with the archangel, with the shout of the archangel, with the trump of God, and in his hand he's going to have a fiery sword. Now, that's representative of the punishment that he brings to those who do not know Christ and who do not obey, or who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we see that God is both 
a comforter, and someone who can exact punishment. And we see that throughout the New Testament. We read uh, uh, in John 14, right? That fame, Everybody knows one through three. My Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place. And, and don't worry. If I go, I'll come back. And then we get over to Hebrews chapter 10, and we read in verse 31 about this idea of it being a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Paul talked about the rewards and the punishments of God. And so what we have here, we have two people trying to be a part of the same organization who are on extreme polar opposite positions. But one of them, Luther, is trying to base his view on Scripture. The other men aren't doing that. You remember, we go back and we learn Luther thought that the whole of the Bible consisted in a few psalms and a few passages in the Gospels that were uh, set aside to be read aloud during the assembly of the church. He thought that encompassed the whole of the Bible. He had never heard of the Gospel plan of salvation. He had no idea what God had in store, why He had it in store, what He needed to do to be able to uh, gain that purpose and to maintain that lifestyle. He had no idea. And so, but we see him searching within the Scripture. And again, I think that's why we owe these men, though they didn't come to the correct conclusion, they did shine a light on the problem at hand, and they put Bibles in the hands of people. They encouraged people, don't listen to what the Pope says. They began to question his authority. Listen to what God said. This vicar general at the monastery was close, wasn't he? You have to believe in Christ Jesus. He can forgive you, but it's not guaranteed, is it? You have to do certain things in order to gain God's grace. And again, we're not talking about working our way into heaven. We're talking about that faith that is demonstrated through godly works, right? Hebrews chapter 11. Noah didn't work himself into salvation from the flood. He simply obeyed God by building that boat, okay? What if he had used a different type of wood? Been in trouble, wouldn't he? What if he had not uh, uh, pitched it within and without? What if he said, well, I just put the pitch on the outside. That'll save me half the time. It'd have been in trouble, right? So his obedience... His faithful obedience is what saved him. And so uh, that's what uh, these people are missing. Any comments, questions? All right. Now, as Luther began to consider passages like Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17... Years later, he wrote this regarding Dr. Stopitz. He said, If Dr. Stopitz, or rather God, through Dr. Stopitz, had not aided me in this, understanding about uh, the idea that Jesus can save, that the righteous come to God through the gospel, he said, I, I would have long since been in hell. And so at that point, he began to devote himself earnestly not to the study of Catholic doctrine, but to the study of theology, to the study of the Bible. 
trying to figure out what God had in store, what God demanded. And so then he began to flourish and he began to grow. And as a result of that, he became a professor at the University of Wittenberg. Later on, he would he would go on and get his doctorate in theology. Not that I think that's something that any of us have to have, but it demonstrated his great love for this newfound, uh, what he perceived as the truth, right? Though he was misunderstanding it in a lot of ways. Now, one of the, the things that, Luther had long held uh, a long held desire to do was to visit Rome. Now remember, he's in Germany. Okay? He wants to go to Rome. They call that the holy city. Right? The most holy city of any city that has ever been. Rome. Now what what uh, what's Rome known for? Is Rome no, known for high quality people at this time? Or in, during the time of Christ? No, they weren't known for that. They were known for uh, kings who were pedophiles, rampant homosexuality. Uh, They were known for uh, not caring anything about marriage and and women gauged their age by how many husbands they had had and and, uh, murder and cheating and conniving and all those things. Now, Luther, still, he wasn't aware of that. He had held up Rome as the place, the Pope as the one. And so he wanted to go on a pilgrimage. Well, he had an opportunity. Uh, The doctor sent him to Rome. There were some problems in Rome within the, uh, the, the, the uh, the monks there, that monastery system. There was kind of an uprising, so he went to Rome. And he walked to Rome. I thought that was interesting. He walked from Germany to Rome. And when he got there, he fell down upon his feet and he said, Oh, holy city. He was just absolutely enthralled and amazed. Now, one of the things he always wanted to do was to go to Rome, participate in Mass, and to give a full confession of every sin he'd ever committed. Now, he'd done that twice at the university. But if you do it in Rome, right, that's a whole nother, whole nother thing. That brings on a special blessing, right? Or in his mind it did. So he did that. He participated in several masses. He confessed every sin he had ever committed. And guess what? Nothing happened. He didn't feel this great blessing this great relief, this burden being lifted from his shoulders that he thought uh, that he could, uh, he would receive. Now, this Catholic theology had so deluded his mind and his thinking that he had he had set that up just for what it is—an idol, right? He was falling down before an idol, and he was wanting that idol to take care of this burden that he perceived he had. And nothing was happening. Now, through all of that, he still didn't give up on the Catholic Church. In fact, when he was in this, quote, holy city, and he was participating in Mass, and he was confessing all these sins to someone he didn't even know, he even at one time wished for the death of his parents because he said, I'm here right now. If they were dead, I think I could get them from purgatory to heaven. You see what an impression 
that denomination had made on this man. Gone as far as to wish that his parents were dead because you know they're going to purgatory. And you either got to buy them out of purgatory, you have to pray them out of purgatory, they have to spend X amount of time in purgatory until they have uh, answered for all the sins in their lives. But he thought, well, I'm in the holy city. I could pray them out of purgatory. Now, similar to Calvinism, he still didn't receive this satisfaction that he wanted. Uh, Calvinism teaches that unless you're part of the elect, it doesn't matter how bad you want to be saved. You could pray and beg and plead the whole of your life, and unless God chose you arbitrarily from before time, you're not going to get there. You're not going to be saved. And at the same time, you can be the sorriest rascal who ever walked the face of the earth, and uh, you know you don't care a thing about God, but if He chose you to be saved, you're going to be saved. That doesn't make sense, does it? That's not in accordance with what we know of the Bible, but here's the thing. They didn't know anything about the Bible. They didn't know anything about the Bible. They hadn't been allowed to read the Bible. They hadn't been allowed to own copies of the Bible. They simply had to listen to what the priest or the bishop stated, and you had to take that as the gospel. Now remember, he thought a handful of Psalms and and, and a few select scriptures from the gospel account was the whole of the gospel. He had no idea. Now, uh, he didn't find the peace for which he searched in Rome. But he still hadn't given up. He still hadn't given up. And uh, uh, his beliefs in the sanctity of the Catholic worship, not of God, but of the saintly life of the Pope and all these other ecclesiastical dignitaries was still with him. And uh, that was filling his mind. But we're going to come, we're going to understand here now that something happened while he was in Rome that shattered all of that. Now remember, he's trying to come out of this darkness, okay? And he has built himself up uh, or has built the Pope and the church up to this unattainable level. Now have you ever heard the statement or the, the phrase, don't, meet your heroes they'll just disappoint you that was Martin Luther he was not just disappointed Martin Luther was devastated now when he went to Rome he was looking for some things right he was looking for piety he had built this place up in his mind everybody had talked about it he had never been to Rome he was in Germany he found frivolity he found uh you know, no great concern, no seriousness, no respect. Instead of holiness, here's what he found, lasciviousness, wall to wall. Rome hadn't changed a whole lot. Instead of pure spirituality, he saw nothing but carnal-mindedness, greed, and self-seeking. Now, he came to realize, and he was in Rome for a while, that the church was cloaking with religion uh, their vice, their shame, their hypocrisy, and their sin. And everything he held uh, as objects of, of adoration in Rome 
They simply scorned and mocked through their behavior. And we're talking about members of the Catholic Church, not just your average member, the hierarchy. Those who are uh, in power and those who have authority. Now, because of his experience in Rome, he wrote this. He said, nobody can form an idea of the licentiousness, vice, and shame that is in vogue in Rome. He said, nobody would believe it unless he could see it with his own eyes and hear it with his own ears. Rome was once the holiest city, now it is the vilest city. He went on to say this, and I think this is a very telling statement. It is true what has been said. If there be a hell, Rome must be built over it. And that's how they behaved, wasn't it? They behaved like just what they were, children of Satan. We're either going to serve God or we're going to serve Satan, right? You can't serve God a little bit and serve Satan a little bit. If you're serving God a little bit and serving Satan a little bit, you're wholly serving Satan. And so they behaved just like they were brought up to behave. You know, have you ever uh, seen children who were born to parents who were not exactly what they ought to be? Maybe they didn't behave properly. And have you, I mean, really, do you ever just sit down and say, man, I can't believe that kid acts that way? No, he, he acts exactly the way you would expect him to act, right? Because of how his parents brought him up. And so, what Luther saw was exactly the product of the Catholic Church. But he still wasn't there yet. He left Rome. He went back to Germany. He didn't go back to Germany, an enemy of the church. He didn't go back to Germany with this idea of reforming the church. He just simply went back to Germany, and he made this statement. He said, I would not take a thousand florins for missing that visit to Rome. He said, I would constantly fear that I had wronged the Pope, but now I can speak to what I have seen myself. He went back, got his doctorate degree in theology. He maintained his position as a monk and as a uh, professor in Wittenberg. And then he comes across someone we've already talked about, Tetzel. Now, as far as history is concerned, Martin Luther never heard of John Tetzel until about 1506. Now, if you remember, John Tetzel is the one who was in charge of indulgences throughout Germany. He was the man the Pope put into power. If you wanted to buy an indulgence, John Tetzel was your man. If you wanted to go out and you knew in advance, I'm going out and over the course of the next few days, I'm going to live like the heathen I am and I'm going to buy an indulgence in advance to cover that sin. Now, that's a Catholic Church doctrine, okay? Well, still having loved the grand old church with all his heart, he went back to Germany. I say 1506, 1516. Now, upon hearing about Tetzel, hearing about the problems, and... Uh, come to find out about three out of five of the German citizens were opposed to this system. Okay, So he kind of had the people on his side. And he made this statement after hearing about Tetzel. He said, uh, if God permit, I will make a hole in his drum. Maybe that was a, a colloquial phrase. 
he was going to disrupt his business. Okay? And so he was going to try to put a stop to that. After that, he, he put out a warning, Martin Luther did. Now, he didn't warn against indulgences. Remember, he's not hardly there yet. He warned against the abuse of indulgences. Okay? You can have indulgences because he still maintains the Pope as the vicar of Christ on earth. And he is above reproach. And so evidently indulgences would have to be okay and scriptural in line with God's thinking, but not the abuse of the indulgences. Okay? And again, keep in mind, he hasn't had access to the Bible that long, right? For a few years. And he has a, uh, a slanted viewpoint, right? People with a slanted viewpoint look through the Scripture to find things to support their idea instead of simply looking through the Scripture to determine what God wants us to do. And so he, uh, he decided that he was going to make a stand against the abuse of indulgences. Any comments, questions? All right. So as he begins to work among the people, he made this statement. He said, what should be regarded with all reverence, talking about indulgences, has become a horrid means of pampering avarice or extreme greed, since it is not the salvation of souls that they had in mind, but solely pecuniary pecuniary, or relating to money, profit is the view. And that's the whole point. That was it, wasn't it? They, They didn't care about someone's soul. The Catholic Church... The Pope was trying to make money. Remember we talked about how they'd farm that out to other people. They'd get the money in advance because they needed the money. The church did. They didn't have time to wait on people coming in when they decided they wanted to sin and buy an indulgence. They'd farm that out, kind of like the publicans of, of Jesus' day. You collect a certain amount, anything above that, you put in your pocket. And so he realized, though, at this point, we have a problem here. But he still justified the intentions of the Pope. He condemned Tetzel for abusing the indulgence, but he said it was still something we ought to revere. Uh, But he also made this statement, and rightly so. Speaking of Tetzel, he said what he was doing, indulgences are teaching people to dread the punishment of sin instead of sin itself. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? He said, if it were not to escape the punishment for sin, no one would care about indulgences, even if offered freely. Isn't that right? What's the whole purpose of an indulgence? Well, I want to sin, I just don't want to be punished for it, right? Uh, that's, what, what's that? That's worldly sorrow, isn't it? Holy and apart from godly sorrow, worldly sorrow says, boy, I'm so sorry I got caught stealing from the drugstore and I'm in prison, right? Or the liquor store, or the cash advance, or wherever. Godly sorrow says, I'm sorry I hurt God. I'm sorry I committed the sin. And so they weren't dreading sin itself. They simply were afraid of the punishment. But now is it wrong to fear God's punishment? We better fear it, hadn't we? We better allow fear, and in fact, I believe it was James, wasn't it, said we use fear. Fear to jerk some people out of the fire of hell. Now, it's just like 
uh, not wanting to go to hell and then using that as encouragement to become a Christian. That's fine. That's absolutely part of it. But over time, what happens to the Christian as he or she matures? That becomes a lesser uh, reason. Not that it ever goes away and it should never go away. But it becomes a lesser reason as it stacks up against our pure love for God, right? We want to do what God's asked us to do because we love Him. Now, how, how, what's the best way to describe that? Well, what does a child do when, when, when the child is small? They're, they're disciplined in whatever way they're disciplined, and then they begin to format their behavior to prevent from receiving that discipline, right? Now, I can remember when I was... My dad's been dead four years, and, and uh, so I was well into my 40s when he passed away. And even at then, I still obeyed my father, not because I feared him any longer, but because I loved him, right? That's what we do. We, we show that love and respect. And so uh, uh, when someone solely fears something, you never truly get to the point where you need to be. Any comments? All right, we're just about out of time, but let's let's introduce this. How was it that Luther began to fight his war, excuse me, against indulgence? Well, it wasn't until, excuse me, John Tetzel was close to Wittenberg. And, of course, Martin Luther had spiritual jurisdiction over uh, groups of people, and those people were coming to Martin Luther wanting to be excused from worship service. Why? Well, John Tetzel's in town. They wanted to go out, and they weren't ashamed to admit it, to engage in all sorts of sin and debauchery and be able to produce a letter from John Tetzel covering that up. That was almost like the the straw that broke the camel's back for Martin Luther. And so, because of that, he produced what is now known as the 95 Thesis. The 95 Thesis. 95 statements of why indulgences are wrong. And he took that 95 Thesis, he went up to the church building, and he nailed it to the door. Now, he remember, he was a, a member of this uh, certain group of monks, and they were highly upset only because of the bad press that would bring to them. They didn't, they didn't want that. And so it began to get around. In fact, the original was written in Latin, but it was translated into Germany, and it went throughout Germany, Luther said, as if the angels were the postmen. They couldn't stop it. It was like a fire burning throughout the country. So your average person was getting their hands on the 95 Thesis. Rome heard about it. Rome said, well, we can't have this. And so they summonsed Luther to Rome. Now, if he hadn't have gone, that was a death sentence. But, kind of like Herod not wanting to kill John the Baptist because the people viewed him as a prophet, 
the people supported Luther. Okay? And so they decided instead of summoning him to Rome, they'll send an ambassador to him and he'll talk to them. Now he wanted to talk to both Luther and Tetzel. Now Tetzel was holed up in his monastery. He was in, he couldn't leave the monastery because he feared for his life. Okay, the people were in an uproar. But he did meet with Martin Luther. And when he got finished meeting with Martin Luther, uh, he depicted to Martin Luther that I don't appreciate the system of action that the Catholic Church is doing, and that was the plan all along. They couldn't really fight Martin Luther, but they could uh, kind of get him to change his view by being kind to him, by compromising with him, okay? So this ambassador from the Pope said, Look, you write a letter, and uh, you uh, say indulgences are okay, because he thought they were but that they were being abused. And then finally, after having been pressed, he asking Luther, well, what's the problem with indulgences anyway? And he brought up number 58 of his thesis. He said, a person, and, and I'm paraphrasing, gains forgiveness through Christ alone and the Pope has nothing to do with it. Well, that didn't sound good. Okay? But at any rate, he was, uh, the, the interview didn't exactly go as, as they had hoped. But in the end, Martin Luther was ordered to recant. And so he appealed to uh, a general council and he went back to his home city of Wittenberg. Now, we'll end on this idea here. Who's he appealing to? a council of men who are obviously supporting what he knows as heresy, who do we appeal to? We appeal to God, don't we? We don't appeal to humankind. We don't appeal to the pastor, the preacher. We don't appeal to those people. We appeal to God. And we follow God's example, Christ's example, and anyone who follows Christ's example. That's what Paul said, wasn't it? Follow me even as I follow Christ. Any comments or questions? All right. Yes, Brother Joe. <laughs> Come back next week. Same, you know, I used to grow up watching Batman. Same bat time, same bat channel. Thank you so much.